The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. In the name of Jesus, amen. How do you teach gratitude? We can all picture the scene, can't we? It's Christmas Eve, last present, last child. The child grabs a handful of wrapping paper and begins to tear. There is paper and cardboard flying everywhere until, at long last, the gift is revealed. For a few moments, the child just stares, their eyes devouring the present, deciding if it's a good one or not, deciding if it's worth bragging about when they get back to school. And the next moment, they're off. They jump to their feet and they run down the hall, out of sight. The parent calls after them, what do you say? But no response. They're gone. How do you teach gratitude? Today in God's Word, our Savior Jesus gives us a lesson on gratitude. He says that gratitude is produced by grace. And that gratitude produces thanksgiving. These last few weeks in our gospel lessons, we've been watching Jesus go down to Jerusalem for the last time. And our story picks up today where he's meandering his way between Galilee and Samaria, north of Jerusalem. And as he's going along, he comes to a town where ten men approach him. Luke describes them as ten lepers. Lepers were people who had a disease called leprosy. And while it's not very common today, even though it exists a little bit in some third world countries, leprosy back then was a terribly contagious and deadly disease. What it was was a skin disease that would start to grow on your arms or on your legs. It would eat away at your skin and also at the nerve endings in your body. And eventually, If it got bad enough, it would affect your face and your hands and your feet and lead to some deformities. It was a nasty disease. In Jewish culture, however, the cultural consequences of having leprosy were oftentimes worse than having the disease itself. As soon as someone contracted leprosy, they had to move. They had to leave their family, their home, and their friends behind and moved to a place called a leper colony, a place reserved for people who had this skin disease so they wouldn't affect, infect anybody else. And if they ever went out in public, they had to shout, unclean, unclean, whenever they got in close proximity to somebody who didn't have leprosy. It was a terribly lonely existence. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, can remember back a few years ago to the COVID-19 quarantine when you had to stay in your houses and not be around other people. And if you had close contact with somebody, well, then you had to even isolate inside of your own house. Imagine that quarantine. But instead of moving to a different room, you had to move to an entirely different city that was full of all the infected people. And instead of having food delivered to you, you had to go dig in the garbage dump that was next to this new city of yours just so you could find your next meal. And instead of counting down the days and the coughs until you could be released from quarantine, 
you knew there was no way out. There was no cure. This was your life now. That was the status of these ten men who came to Jesus. And Luke makes it clear, they, were, they behaved like good lepers. They made sure to stay far away from Jesus to not infect him. But they didn't shout out, unclean, unclean. No, they shouted out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. This word master is so important. It's only used a handful of times in Luke's gospel. Every other time it's used, a disciple says it. This is the one time that a disciple doesn't say this word master. What Luke is doing is showing us that these ten men had faith in Jesus. They trusted that Jesus was capable of whatever he said he was going to do. And Jesus didn't disappoint. He says, go. Go show yourselves to the priests. In those days, in order to be allowed back into society when you had a skin disease like that, the priests had to clear you and say, yep, you're okay, you can enter now. So when these men heard, go show yourselves to the priests, there wasn't any hesitation. Even though they hadn't been healed yet, they went. And as they went, they were healed. And this is where Jesus' lesson on gratitude begins. It was of the ten. Only one came back. One came back to say thank you. How easy it would be to say, how ungrateful. I mean, consider what Jesus had just done for their lives. He gave them their lives back. I'm sure none of the nine who didn't return, didn't return out of spite. I, I'm, they probably had very good reasons not to return and thank Jesus. After all, imagine... You were in their spots. You had a lifetime of quarantine ahead of you, of shouting unclean at any stranger that passed by, and one day someone comes up to you and says, you're free. You can go home now. What's the first thing you're doing? Running to your house, kissing your spouse, hugging your children, saying hi to your friends and family. Would your first reaction to be to go around, turn around and say, Thank you? Mine wouldn't. How easy it is to get so wrapped up in the gifts of grace and forget about the giver, so much so that the gifts are no longer viewed as gifts. How do you teach gratitude? Now I can stand up here and say to you, be grateful, all that I wanted to. But you and I both know that's not how gratitude works. There are no amounts of what do you says in the world that produce even one ounce of gratitude. No, gratitude is a reaction. Gratitude is a response to a gift. Instead of telling you to be grateful, I'm going to do what Jesus did. And I'm going to show you God's grace. Let's jump back to this morning. You wake up, you open your eyes, and take your first waking breath. You're not exactly sure how your lungs did it, but they did. Then you throw your legs over the side of the bed, some a little bit more stiff than others, and then you get up and get ready to go about your day. All the while, your body is moving, not necessarily knowing how your body is moving, but your body is moving. You might have ate some food or drunk some water, you may have flushed the toilet or turned on the lights. 
All the while your eyes were seeing, your ears were hearing, your nose was smelling. All the while really not knowing why or how all of them were doing those things. All of those things. Everything we see around us. They're all gifts. They're all grace. And those are just the small things. I mean, consider, even in a sinful world, governments uphold laws. Relationships last. Jobs pay. And those are just the big things. There remain the greatest things. We're sinners, but we get God's word. We're sinners, but we get the forgiveness of sins. We're sinners, but we have a Savior, Jesus. A Savior, Jesus, who was grateful to his Heavenly Father every single day without fail, in the good times and in the not-so-good times. We have a Jesus who pours out grace upon grace in our lives, even to this day. And we have a Savior, Jesus, who paid the ultimate price of grace, who gave his life so that we might have eternal life. All of them gifts, all of them grace, all of them God's undeserved love. After all, who earns a gift? As St. Paul says in his letter, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. You earn your wages, you don't earn gifts. And everything that we have in life, the small things, the big things, and the greatest things, they are all gifts of God's grace, and those are the things that lead to gratitude. And that gratitude, in turn, produces thanksgiving, because nine didn't return, but one did. As soon as he saw that he was healed, he turned right around and ran to Jesus, throwing himself at his feet, unable to contain himself in thanks and praise, and he was a Samaritan. You might be tempted to be impressed by what the Samaritan man did, or at the very least to think what he did was admirable, but Jesus takes a different view of the matter. He says, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus' response might seem a bit harsh at first, but he's not calling out this Samaritan man and, and belittling him for being a foreigner. What he's doing is he's showing his disappointment with the nine who didn't come back. In other words, what he's saying is, if this foreigner knows how to praise and thank God for his gifts, shouldn't those who are God's children, who know better, know how to praise God when he gives them gifts? You know better. That's another one of those phrases when I was a kid that kind of stick with me. It usually come after I would do something that was terribly immature for how old I was, or completely the opposite of what my parents told me to do just moments before. You know better leaves no excuses. In our account today, Jesus says that the expectation is thanksgiving. It's not impressive when someone praises God. That's what God expects. And we know better. We are those whom God has poured out into our lives, not only the, the little things and the big things, but the greatest things. 
We have the forgiveness of sins. We have faith in Jesus given to us through word and sacrament by the Holy Spirit. We know better that God's expectation is thanksgiving. So, how do we throw ourselves at Jesus' feet? Well, part of throwing ourselves at Jesus' feet is what we're doing today. Being around God's word, hearing him forgive our sins, praying prayers, singing hymns. That is one way of falling at Jesus' feet, but it doesn't stop there. No, it's not only about thanking him with words, but it's also about thanking him with actions. After all, who receives a gift that they're grateful for and then throws it in the corner and forgets about it and neglects it and lets dust cover over it? No one. If you have a gift that you're grateful for, you make sure it's safe and well taken care of. In the same way, when we have gifts of God's grace that he has given to us, he expects us to take care of them, to love them, make sure that they're safe. So what does that look like? Spouses, when you love one another, when you take care of each other, when you forgive each other, you fall at Jesus' feet. And parents, when you raise your children, you fall at Jesus' feet. And children, when you listen to your parents and do what they say the first time, you fall at Jesus' feet. And workers, whether employers or employees, when you do your best to serve your Lord, you fall at Jesus' feet. These are all ways of thanking your God for the gifts that he has given to you so graciously. God gives grace that produces gratitude, and these, this gratitude produces thanksgiving. Gratitude is always going to be a difficult discipline to teach, and there are no amount of what do you say is that's going to change that. But when we see God's gifts of grace, God produces God-given gratitude in our hearts, and that gratitude leads us to give thanks. After all, no one was ever made grateful through the law. No gratitude comes from the gospel. So as you live your life to throw yourself at Jesus' feet in thanks and praise, keep in mind God's greatest gifts. Keep in mind what Jesus has to say to the Samaritan man. He also says to you, Rise and go. Your faith has saved you. Amen.